0: relatively short word. Relatively short means under four hours. So that can be anywhere from one minute to three hours and 59 minutes. Uh, Luke chapter one, and then also first Timothy, we're going to turn to first Timothy one chapter uh, verse 18 first. I was kind of wondering if I was supposed to go ahead and share this, because I was thinking, well, with the time frame and everything, do I just need to go ahead and stop? But I felt like the Holy Spirit said we need to share this. Um, But I'll keep it as I'll keep it under four hours. I'll promise you that. How's that? Making some of you nervous. First Timothy, chapter one. Let's pray. Father, we just continue to say we love you and we thank you. And we ask you to continue to do what you want to do and show us how to line up with that. We open our hearts and our ears, Father, and ask you to speak to us. And we have the intention of receiving your word and being doers of your word. Because we thank you that you have and will give us the grace that we need to apply what you tell us to do. So we open our hearts and our ears and we say, speak, Lord. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our families, in this church, in our community. And we're truly excited, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The name of this is concerning the prophecies spoken over you, preparing for war. 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. He says, Timothy, this is a command I'm giving you. Now, my first question for you is, is this command only given to Timothy? Is Timothy uh, the only one who's to respond and receive this word? Or is anybody else included in that? Anybody else included, you think? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be uh, competent... Equipped for every good work. So this command is not just for Timothy. But it's for the body of Christ. He's saying, Timothy, I command you. I entrust you. This command I entrust to you. In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. That by them you fight the good fight. By them you fight the good fight. Keeping faith in a good conscience. Which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Now many of us... uh, received prophetic words last week. And even if you did or did not, whether you did or didn't, you've probably received prophetic words in your life before. The Lord spoke to you something directly or he spoke to you something through other people. And so right here we are commanded to do something with that in accordance with those prophecies. We're to fight the good fight. Anybody of any of you who received the prophetic word last week, could you have a chance, take a chance, the opportunity to listen to it again? Anybody? Did you catch some things you missed the first time? Were you re-encouraged again? Good. We did the same thing. Listen to it again and it was encouraging. It's like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I didn't hear that part. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to it yet, again, you should have received a CD. Go ahead and listen to it again. Listen to it with an open heart and say, Lord, speak to me again. But now your question may be, what do I do with it now? What do I do with it now? And I want to encourage you because you do not want this prophetic word of that time we had to be one of those come and go events where it came, you experienced it, and it just goes on and you forget about it. And many of you had... Words that, that created wonder and awe and you're like, Wow, how's that gonna happen? Whoa, are you serious? Are you kidding me, God? But all who participated and gave themselves to the Lord, he spoke some things to us. And I want to talk about what do we do next with that? Turn over to um, Luke chapter one. This is gonna be two parts. What I'm going to talk about today, because he says to fight the good fight concerning the prophecies made over you recently. I'm paraphrasing. What we're going to talk about today is preparing for war. Because before you go to fight, you've got to prepare. Because if you go into war without preparing, you're going to get your butt kicked. Would you agree with me on that? Have you seen movies or, or situations where, um, or I just thought of one. Anybody ever watch Rocky number... See, there's so many of them. I can't remember which one it was, but it was the one when when Apollo Creed was going to fight the Russian giant. The Russian. I think it was number four. Is that number four or five? Number four. Thanks, Jared. Remember, he goes in and he and Apollo, you know, because he's kind of in the shadows of Rocky now because Rocky is the the man. He's the stuff now. Remember that? Because Rocky beat up Apollo and got the title and everything. And so Apollo is kind of in the shadows it's kind of frustrated because he's not getting the attention and the accolades that he used to get. And then all of a sudden, this giant comes on the scene, this new world champion or whatever, and, and, and he wants to fight to show his stuff. And then uh, Rocky's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And Apollo's like, I will, I will. Let me, let me have my chance because he's thinking this will be my opportunity to show that I'm the big and baddest and that kind of thing. Where well, if you saw that, you saw that he really didn't prepare, did he? He was, he was taking it very lightly kind of messing around, really didn't get into shape. And then what happened to him when he got in the ring? He got pulverized and he actually he got killed. He got killed. And so before and of course, on the other hand, when you see when Rocky went against this guy, because he saw how serious this was. I mean, this guy killed his best friend. So when Rocky went in there against him, he prepared. He prepared. Because it was a serious battle that he was about to engage in. He knew it could cost him his life. And the Bible tells us right here, he says to fight the good fight. Do you realize that as a Christian, you have, when you said, Jesus, I commit my life to you, you're my Lord and Savior. Do you realize that you enlisted in the army? You've enlisted in the army and you are in a war. And unfortunately, too many Christians don't realize that. They don't know how to fight or whatever and and they're getting whipped or getting beat around like a rag doll. And so right here, he commands Timothy to fight the good fight concerning the prophecies previously made over you. Well, if you're going to fight the good fight, you have to prepare for the fight. And I want to share three things to help you prepare for the fight. And then next week, we're going to talk about how to fight. How's that? Is that good? All right. Luke chapter 1. Starting with verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, A certain priest named Zechariah for the division of Abijah. His wife was a daughter of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments. Can anybody say all? All. They were walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So these were very righteous people. These were people that loved God and they were walking in all his commandments and ordinances. Verse seven. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and they they were both well advanced in years. So they were very old. She was barren, no children. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when, the, when he went into the temple of the Lord. So it was Zachariah's turn to go before the Lord and, and do the ceremonial stuff that he was required to do. Uh, Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Here we go again. When angel of the Lord comes fear, it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. Verse 13, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers have been heard. Do not be afraid for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink he will also be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn away and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Okay, now let's turn over to verse 26. So we see that, kind of summarizing, we see that the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, came to Zechariah and told him, Do not fear. Your prayers have been answered. You can have a son, and etc. And this is what all he's going to do and everything. And then we see his response. He says, How's this going to happen? I'm old and we haven't had any children. We couldn't have children and and all that kind of stuff. Okay, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I never noticed that before, but it's interesting. She wasn't afraid of the angel. She was puzzled by what he said. Kind of interesting. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have... I guess she was afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and and he uh, he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, he goes on to say all that and then... Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. therefore also that the Holy One who is is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, it's interesting we have two different prophetic words. The angel came and said to two different people something that was going to happen in the future. He, he uh, shared God's will and plan for their lives. And we see two different responses. We see the first response. Actually, it appears that they say the same thing. Because he says... Let's see, what does he say? In verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And then she says, when the angel says that she's going to have a child, then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? So they both said something that sounded similar, but they got two different reactions and responses from the angel. Now I believe, and it's it probably clear because of the reaction and how the angel responded to Zacharias. That Zacharias responded in doubt and unbelief. Probably pretty cynical. He was old, no telling how long they had been praying to have children. Probably ever since they were they were married. Because they knew it was a blessing to have kids and they couldn't have kids, and so their whole married life they weren't able to have children. And so he responds and says, How can this be? I'm old, etcetera, et cetera. And then the angel got pretty ticked and he made him made him mute. He said, you're not going to speak. You're not going to mess up this thing. And he wasn't able to speak until, until John was born. But then we see how Mary responds on the other hand. But the interesting thing here is, it says, remember that John, um, not John, not Zacharias and Elizabeth, it says, they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They knew all the ordinances and commandments of God. Do you think that Zacharias was familiar with his, his heritage? Do you think that Zacharias had ever heard of a man named Abraham? And do you think that he knew that he was married to a woman named Sarah? Do you think he knew the story of Sarah and Abraham and how God promised them a child? Do you think that Zacharias heard of a woman named Hannah, who was Samuel's mother? And all the other all the other stories and situations where women were barren, Jacob's wife. Um, when they were barren, couldn't have children, all of a sudden God opened their wombs and they, had, uh, they were able to have children. So Zacharias knew that God could do that. Are you with me? It wasn't a brand new situation. Now, if he had been the first one, if there had been no history of God opening the womb of a woman, and then all of a sudden Zacharias was the first one, then maybe we can kind of say, okay, it's never happened before, and he's going to be the first one for it to happen to. But he wasn't the first one. And he responded and the angel wasn't too happy and judged him, so to speak. Now, the good thing was, is he didn't disqualify him from the promise of God. They were able to have the child, John, and everything was able to go forward. Now, for nine months, he couldn't speak. So that wouldn't have been fun. But what caused him to respond or react the way he did? He was a righteous man. He loved God. He was going to church. He was fulfilling his, his deals, you know, doing what he was supposed to do. But he probably got frustrated, began to have doubt and unbelief set up in his heart because they had been praying for a long time and had not seen the fulfillment of that prayer for a long time. And that's something we have to be careful with. When you received that word last week, Your response might have been, now how in the world is that going to happen? Are you kidding me? Yeah, right. Obviously these prophets don't know who they're talking to. And if we're not careful, we can have the same response or reaction that he had. And Mary, on the other hand, her response was different. Has there ever been anybody before Mary... Who was a virgin and had a child before they knew a man? It had never happened before. So she was the first one. The very first one. So I think that's so she was kind of curious because when Zacharias asked the question, he knew how it could happen because it's happened before. When Mary asked the question, she really didn't know because it's never happened before. And I think their attitudes were different as well. I don't think she had a cynical attitude. I think now, of course, I'm kind of reading into this because we don't know for sure. But obviously, Zacharias' response was wrong because he got judged and couldn't couldn't hear or speak, I mean. Actually, couldn't hear and speak. That's played out later on. But Mary said, then Mary said, verse 38, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, okay, I heard what you said. I'm your servant. Do what you want to do. And the first thing, if you want to prepare for war, here's what has to happen. You have to have the heart of Mary. You might have heard, not just last week, but over, over the years, you've heard words, and they still haven't come to pass. And they are words that's like way beyond your ability. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, huge. God's got Huge plans for you. You can either say, yeah, right, how's that going to happen? Or, God, whatever you want, so be it. I'm yours. It has to happen first. You have to have a heart of faith. Remember when he said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. Keeping faith in a good conscience. Faith is trusting and believing that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Trusting and believing that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. I'm sure many of you were surprised by what was spoken to you. I think Mary was pretty surprised at what was spoken to her. I mean, would you kind of agree with that? She's probably surprised. But we see her response. And we have to have a heart of faith, believing that God can and do what, will do what he says he will do in and through you. Now, here's the deal. If you hear somebody else's prophetic word and you hear of these great and powerful, wonderful things, you have faith for them. You notice that? You hear God speaking over somebody. It's like, wow, praise God. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. Go, God. But then the word is spoken to you and it's like that faith is gone. The faith is gone all of a sudden. The faith that was there for your friend is gone for you. Because we don't know our friend's weaknesses necessarily, we, but we know our weaknesses. Turn to First Thessalonians five. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and read it real quick. But you can, if you're taking notes, write this down. First Thessalonians five twenty through twenty four. It says, do not despise prophetic utterances or do not despise prophecies, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. First thing, do not despise prophetic utterances. Do not despise prophetic words. That word despise is exotheneo in the Greek. And it means to make of no account, utterly despise, set at naught, esteem least, or contemptible. So when it says do not despise prophetic words, it's a pretty strong word, despise. As a matter of fact, I thought this was interesting. It's the same word in Luke chapter twenty-three, eleven, 11, when it says, "And Herod with his soldiers after treating Jesus with contempt, and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now, we saw how they treated Jesus. Remember, they beat him within an inch of his life. I mean, they just pulverized him. They mocked him. They hit him and, and um, they blindfolded him. They hit him and spit on him and said, prophesy, who, who hit you? They mocked him and they treated him with contempt. That word contempt is the same word in First Thessalonians when it says, do not despise prophetic words. That's a pretty strong word. So we can get to the point, if the Bible's saying don't do this, then that means we can do this. You know, when the Bible says fear not, it probably means because we're in fear or we have a tendency to move in fear. So if it says do not despise, then he's challenging us because we might get to the point where we despise prophetic words. Now, how would that happen? First of all, you might have been te- you might have received teaching. In your denomination or wherever, that prophecy and the gifts aren't for the day anymore. That they they passed away when the Bible came out. And so if you hold on to that teaching, then when you hear prophetic ministry, that kind of thing, it's like, no, that's not God. That's not God. And the very thing you say is not God is God. Remember what the um, Jewish leader said about Jesus? That's not God. That's not God. Were they wrong? Absolutely. They despised and they they had him killed. The very one that God sent. They despised him and mocked him and and, and just obliterated him. And the same thing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts that God has given for his body. And we say, that's not God. That's not God. Well, before you say something's not God, make sure the word is clear. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with me real quick. First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse one in fourteen, it says, "Pursue love, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may what? Especially that you may prophesy. It says for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries." But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. So do you think prophecy is an important gift? Do you think God puts, it's not like the most important thing, but it's very important. And so we have to be careful. If God has given that gift to the body, there's a reason because he wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us. Now, of course, we know that the predominant main way that God speaks to us is through his word. Anything that comes to you. Anything else? Anything that comes to you aside from this is not of God. And, of course, you have to test everything and make sure it lines up with this. But the Bible teaches us that God is giving gifts to the church. And I'm not going to get into the whole teaching of the prophetic ministry. But there's the office of the prophet. And then there's the gift of prophecy. And the Bible says we can all prophesy. So there's that gift where we can all enter into that dimension. Just like this morning, there were words that came forth from people. Those were prophetic words. Now, the people who came, got up and shared, I wouldn't say all of them were prophets. But God put something in their heart to share. As a matter of fact, we can all prophesy. So the point I'm wanting to say is that that is a valid gift that God has for the church for us today. Maybe you've had prophetic words spoken of you before that have not yet come to pass. Maybe what you heard last week as far as prophetic words, like, yeah, yeah, I heard that 10 years ago. I heard that 20 years ago. I heard, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. And because it hasn't come to pass, you can get frustrated because you heard that before. Has it come to pass so you think it's just another false word? And we have to be careful because, now we can definitely see examples of timing. How long was... uh, Abraham promised a son before he actually had the son. There's a few days involved in that. That was a long time before it had happened. And so we have to be careful that we don't, because it didn't happen in our time frame, then we despise it. we write it off. And so we really have to be careful with the time element. Maybe you've had a bad experience with the prophetic ministry. Maybe you know somebody who got a prophetic word and it has something to do with God's calling you to the nations. He's calling you to go to Africa or, or, or um, Germany or wherever. And you knew a person who received that word and they sold, got excited, sold all their stuff, moved their family to this country. And everything all hell broke loose and they were, they were just, their family was obliterated. And you say, see what happened because of that prophetic word. See what happened. Look with them. This cannot be from God. Now, just because someone treats a gift of God inaccurately or wrong does not does not nullify the gift. You hear me on that? Because there are things that we're supposed to do when we receive a prophetic word. Because it says in that, in that verse, it says, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. So when you receive a word, you don't just grab it and just swallow the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker, and you just do what it says. It says you need to examine it. You need to judge it. Okay, is this of God? Does it pass the test of being from God? And you may not be able to do it all by yourself. You probably can't, so you need to get some counsel. You need to get counsel. And say, can you listen to this? Or you heard the prophecy. What do you think? Do you think it's from God? Because I'm really wanting to know. Get counsel on it. And even if it is from God, yes, brother, yes, if that is definitely from God. I bear witness from that. Amen. Go for it. But just because it is from God doesn't mean that, okay, I'm going to the nations, God's called me to the nations, that means tomorrow I sell my house and move to Kenya. That's not how it works. Now, I'm sure there have been some dramatic situations and testimonies of where God moved quickly and said, now, 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 now. And people, they went, but also you'll see the fruit of it, that it was fruitful and God was with them. So just because you receive a prophetic word and you see that it is God, that doesn't necessarily mean that you move on it right away. You have to receive counsel. Examine. And you may get parts of the word that you do not understand. So what do you do with that? You say, God, I don't understand this. I'm not sure if this is from you or not. did doesn't make any sense. Don't despise and reject it. Just take it and just give it to God. Put, like, put it on a shelf and say, okay, God, I don't understand this, but my heart is open. Help me with that. Because if you try to walk in your limited understanding, then you can miss it. Or you can mess things up. Or and you can even limit what God's wanting to do. We have to be careful not to limit When you hear God, a word, our natural tendency is to interpret it according to our current circumstances. In other words, this is what I'm doing right now. We hear a word and it's like, hey, yeah, that that fits. That's right. That bears witness. I'm doing that right now. And the word may have something to do with what you're doing now, but it may have something to do with what you're not even doing. Does that make sense? And so you have to be careful not to interpret your word or interpret the word according to your circumstances or your understanding. When I had a word spoken over uh, Lisa and myself in, in 97, at the time we were the youth pastors. And what the brother shared, I interpreted it as, yeah, praise God, that's what we're doing right now. He it said something to the effect of, he saw us in the front of the parade leading. We were leading. And he kept telling me, you're the man. And I was like, yeah, praise God. I see that. I see that happening with youth ministry. But obviously, because at that time, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. I thought my calling was to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. I was content. I wanted it. I didn't want anything else. And so if I'm not careful, then I can interpret anything I get according to what I think. And then if God's wanting to do something outside of my understanding, I can say, no, that's not God. Because I'm supposed to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. So this has nothing to do with being a youth pastor. So therefore, that can't be God. And we can miss it. By the way, I'm not the youth pastor anymore. Just in case you didn't know that. But I had no idea, had no idea. And the timing issue can be very big. And the timing thing can cause you to get bitter with people and think that man is getting in your way. God's called me to do this, but these people don't see it and they're standing in my way. No one's going to stand between me and God's purpose and I'm going after them. Forget y'all and get that attitude. And I've seen people do that. They, they reject counsel. They go out and do what they feel God's called them to do. And there's no success. There's no fruit. They're not able to flourish in ministry that God's called them because they stepped out of his timing. Here's the way I see it. When God has something for you, a ministry, calling, purpose, you're right here. And let's say at that door, that exit is your ministry. Well, there is a process that God wants to take you through and has to take you through so that by time you get there, you're qualified and you're ready to walk in the ministry that he has for you. Let's say that the shape of that door you have to walk through is is rectangular. But you're Triangular. So, along the way in the process, God is going to reshape you. He's going to make you more like Jesus. So that by the time you get to that door, you fit. Does that make sense? And what happens though, we can try to speed up the process, take shortcuts, and we get to a ministry and we don't fit. We don't have the character to be able to uphold the ministry. We may have the gifts. Can lay hands on the sick, we can prophesy, we can do all kinds of stuff, have the gifts, but we don't have the character. So therefore, I lose my family, I run off with another woman, I embezzle money, I cheat, I lie, I manipulate, all this kind of stuff in this ministry. Because I didn't have the character, I didn't allow God to develop me the way he wants to so that when I get there, I'm going to be fruitful and thus glorify God. So we have to understand that there is a process, there is a timing issue, and that can be the big thing that we miss. And we can think men are in our way, trying to hold us back. And men or women leaders may not understand, but they may say, I don't bear witness with that. Because it could be God saying, not right now. But then you think, well, this is of God. You're just missing it. Forget y'all. I rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. Satan. And then just blaze your trail and you and you mess up. And I've shared the story. I'm not going to get through all three today. We'll continue next week. But this one time when I really saw this play out was when I was at a conference and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me concerning Africa. And I knew he was calling me to go to Africa. I mean, it was one of those encounters that, you know, like I said before, the... The crying, the, the heavy crying that you can't control, the uncontrollable crying, the sobbing, you know, the, the slobber and the, and the snot going everywhere, that kind of crying. Where you don't have enough Kleenexes to keep it under control. And actually, I didn't have any Kleenexes. That was a mess, you know, my sleeves. And that was one of those situations. Because at the youth conference, they didn't provide Kleenexes for whatever reason. But I'm just bawling my guts out. And I just know and I say, Yes, God, I accept your call. I receive it to go to, to Africa. Yes. And I had I was a youth pastor, Tom, and I had youth we you know went to acquire the fire. And so we get back, and I just know God wants me to take the youth to I was gonna say Mexico. In this story, if I say Mexico, I mean Africa, okay? Interpreted as Africa. So I get back and I share with the elders. I share with, with Pastor Dale, and I'm just on fire. God I'm just burning this Africa. And I, and I share it with Dale, and he's like, well, brother, why don't you share that with the elders? So I get to show with the elders, and Africa, Africa, and i got to take the youth. How much is it going to cost? So i about ten grand, but we got to go, and we had a couple of months to, well, actually, it's more than that. It was several thousand dollars, and in a few months, we're supposed to go and take all these teenagers and all that kind of stuff. We're just supposed to go. We're just supposed to go. I just knew it was God we're supposed to go. Well, they didn't see it. I said, well, brother, I just don't see that. I want to say, get behind me, Satan. Because I knew what God told me, and they weren't getting it. They were just a little slow, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, and I was getting frustrated because they didn't see it. They didn't agree. And I was like, well, and one thing I've learned is that, because I, I remember going to my office, and I was pretty discouraged. But I remember, and I was encouraged by the Holy Spirit, just park it on a shelf. He said, don't worry about it. Just park it. Trust me with it. And here's where the trust factor comes in, not just with the word, but with my attitude. That's where you can miss it, your attitude. I could have developed an attitude towards my leadership because they weren't seeing it the way I saw it. And I can begin to get bitter, resentful. doubt. I can get all this stuff and disqualify for myself from the very thing that God wants to do in my life. One thing I want to say, the prophecies that God has spoken of you are conditional to your obedience and cooperation with him. And to give you an example, children of Israel, what was God's purpose for them to go into the promised land? Did they make it? Nope. Some of them did. The original ones didn't. Remember, the spies, the 12 spies went. He said, all right, this is what I'm going to give you. Go look at it. Go check it out. They went back. Oh, my goodness, there's giants. They're going to kill us. And they came back all freaking out and afraid, saying, God just wants to take us in there to kill us. He brought us out here to die and all this. Remember that? Except two of them. Man, come on, we can take them people out. Come on, God has promised us this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the neighbor Bill, they were trying to raise up leaders to go back to Egypt, back to the bondage. And they had been acting this way over and over and over. And then finally, judgment came in. You will not go into the promised land. Was that God's intention, his will for Yes. They disqualify themselves from reaching God's purpose because of their rebellious attitudes. So the things the Lord was having to encourage me with is I need to keep my attitude in check. I believe in spiritual leadership. I believe what the Bible says about that. And even though we weren't seeing things, uh, we weren't seeing eye to eye. I still chose by my heart to submit. God, I don't understand this. And I was wrestling. It wasn't like, okay, okay, I'll just submit and everything's going to be. I was struggling with my attitude. So every day, God, I, I, I accept this. Lord, I'm trusting you. I don't hold any resentment against my brothers. I don't. I had to work on that. It was a process that I allowed myself to work through. And then there was a point in time when it was gone. And actually, I forgot about it. And my attitude, my heart was okay. And then a few months later, that was back in February, a few months later in November. So summer came and went and didn't take the youth to Africa. November comes around, and I'm with, we're over um, the chaise. It was after Thanksgiving. You remember when Barbara and um, Margaret were there? You remember that? Many years ago. And we're having dinner and just hanging out and all that kind of stuff. And and Barbara says, hey, CJ, you want to go to... um, uh, Egypt and Israel. Heck, yeah. Are you kidding me? Because I just love to go. And um, she goes, no, I'm serious. I thought she was kidding. So, of course, I was being silly. And I was like, really? Well, she said, if you want to go, you know, seek the Lord, pray, see if you're supposed to go and everything. So I went to a prep meeting. Uh, a few weeks later, I went to a prep meeting, and after this meeting, I was just like, oh God, I need to go. I, it was burning in me. It was just burning. I was on fire. And I remember driving back from Eden, I said, God, please don't play with my emotions. If I'm not supposed to go on this trip, please let me know now so I can forget about this, because I was just burning. And then I remember the next couple of days, he confirmed, because. To confirm it, I had I needed eleven hundred dollars for a plane ticket in like three days because they're going to buy the tickets. And there's a deadline. I didn't have check my pockets. I didn't have eleven hundred bucks. And then I get the phone call from her and someone in their church in Enid has anonymously donated the money for my plane ticket. It's like, hmm, I think that's a good sign that I'm supposed to go. And I shared it with the elders. I said, hey, this is what's going on. And they were all excited. They jumped on board. And and the church provided for my uh, finances to go over there. And believe this or not, Egypt, Israel. I'm on the plane. I'm 30-something thousand feet in the air. Now, I know you're going to call me slow, but that's okay. I am 30-something thousand feet in the air. And I just begin to realize where I'm going. Holy Spirit says, Where are you going? Duh. (laughs) Going to Egypt. And he said, where's Egypt? It's in Africa. I never thought of Egypt being Africa. Geography lesson. Egypt's in Africa. I didn't realize that because when I thought of Egypt, I was thinking, um, not Africa. (laughs) And all of a sudden, so here I am, thirty thousand feet on my way, and I realized the fulfillment of what he told me months ago was happening. I didn't try to make it happen because I didn't realize that's what it was going on until he told me. Oh, by the way, remember what I told you a few months ago? This is it. And so the point was, and by the way, I had a, we went to Egypt, but we got to minister to. Ethiopians and uh, Sudanese and uh, Nigerians. It was a, a lot of African refugees came up and were in this school to receive to be trained for ministry to go back to their countries to spread the gospel. So I had the privilege as a youth pastor to share with these men and women who were called to the youth ministry. They wanted to hear from this expert about youth ministry. And here's the interesting thing. I'm kind of a little bunny trail, if you can bear with me. But here they are. Here we are in the room. It's me and, and Kent Cotterello, who's a youth pastor over in Enid. And he's an OU fan, by the way. I don't know what it is about you you OU fans and youth pastors. Anyway, Kent was a real good friend of mine. You guys remember Kent? He's a real good friend of mine. We were the two youth pastors. And we're sitting in here, and there's like a, a panel. Me and him, the experts. We're shaking in our boots. I am scared to death. Expert. Because they want to ask us questions about being the youth pastors, and how do you do it and everything? And I'm like, Kent, be ready to talk. And, then they, and here's one story that really humbled me. Uh, I think it was, they were from Sudan. The guy asked a question. And he said, um, his, the, uh, this young man who was from a Muslim family was coming to him, and so he was sharing the gospel with them. And his kid's father found out that he was sharing the gospel with them. And so the father came to him and said, if you tell my son or any of my family about Jesus anymore, I'm going to kill you. So then this brother looked at me and said, what do I do? I said, that's a good question. Can't tell him what to do. I'm like, are you kidding me? Our main problem is we're trying to worry about what kind of pizza to order, you know, here in America. And they're talking about, if I share the gospel, I'm going to die. So anyway, but thank God. Oh, man, God is so good. And my heart is about to come out of my chest because Kent threw it back at me. <laughs> so if you've been a youth pastor longer. You tell him. Oh, brother. So my heart is just pounding. And I'm about to open my mouth. And I don't know what's about to come out. Probably a little squeak or something. And then, and then someone raised their hand. I mean, the angel of the Lord appeared in that room. And he raised his hand and he said, he said, brother, may I say something? By all means. Of course, I was being humble and everything. I'm like, God, get me out. So this guy, he says, well, brother, we are called to share the gospel. We we're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if we go and it costs us our lives, if we die, we die. And everybody in the room said, amen. I said, amen. But it was so amazing that these people who came out of war-torn countries, who their very life was on the line every day because of their faith in Jesus. And here they were asking these two Americans. Now, fortunately, of course, I didn't have any input in that situation, but we were able to share with them some practical things that they were very grateful for. And so I was very humbled and grateful that I got to share my heart with these brothers and sisters who were going into a very dangerous situation. But here's the thing, after going through all that, and the whole trip was incredible, but God, back at a youth conference in February, put them on my heart. And I could have missed that whole thing if I would have let that bad attitude develop, and I would have got that self-righteous, nobody understands, let me leave me alone, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I would have totally disqualified myself from what God had for me to do. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, please guard your heart. Guard your heart. Attitudes. Because, see, God has spoken some things to you, but you feel that man is in your way. When God speaks to you and your heart is, is submissive to him, nobody on this planet can stop you from accomplishing God's purposes. Did you hear that? Nobody can stop you from accomplishing God's purposes. But you know who can stop you? You. Let's stand.